I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflot and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT Dupe. Oh! oh! Pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete. A quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review last night's Dynamite. That was all over the place. I think that's a bit pessimistic, Mr. Will. Oh, no, just... It, a lot of stuff I did not see coming on this show. To be fair, there was more than one thing I didn't think was a good idea or liked, and I wouldn't go as far as to say the power is back, but my God, the energy and the thought is. Mm. So I was really happy with the vast majority of this dynamite, even if not all of it was great, and there was some stuff I kind of audibly groaned at. When I see what they're capable of, and I did see what they were capable of on last night's broadcast, I can still leave the experience reassured that next week's going to be great and the pay-per-view is going to be great and this summer oh sorry CM Punk happened so it's not going to be great but uh, this time <laughs> it, it was mostly yeah I um, felt like I could see peak AW in flashes in this show there was a couple of things where I was so impressed that's what it always is when AW is firing I'm always just really impressed I'm impressed with the quality of the work I'm impressed with the ideas and the thought and the ambition of the booking and I'm impressed with the its ability to surprise and surpass your expectations. And I got that feeling quite a lot on this show, even though, like, I'm, it's a stupid thing that we, like, add stock to, but um, I'm, I'm holding back from saying the power is back because when I say it on WWE podcast, 95% of the time I'm taking the piss. But, like, <laughs> as if it means anything. But there is a difference, and it just because it didn't have that, it didn't mean that the highs weren't incredibly high. Mm. And a couple of things here as well. Uh, it's been a while since I felt moved to put over a crowd at an AW show. Yeah. It's felt part of the problem, truthfully, lately. Not that the crowds are problems, but the booking just hasn't generated those noises or the buildings have been emptier or whatever. But this crowd felt like an AW crowd that we were used to for so many years in the way that they were responding to so much. Because when a crowd is that hot, it almost gives you objective evidence that a thing is working. And I think without that, it's been harder to judge some of the booking, and we got a lot of that tonight and that, which was just made for, like, a more satisfying experience as well. It was weird as well watching it because I, I was concerned going in through my brief clip from Community with Donald Glover walking in with the pizzas <laughs> and everything's on fire that 
it might be a slightly distracted show with everything that's, that had gone on, but they, you know, they they were very focused on the fact that double or nothing is actually in. Wait a second, how close are we to? One second, hold that thought. Is it in? No, this. Oh, the nerds have been in and turned our shit off again. <laughs> Did the listeners hear that? Yeah. Just that we didn't. So we didn't. All off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it is, Will Bond. This bit has gone well. This was a good, funny bit. Nine days. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Sorry. It's not... Is it nine days? I can't do that. I don't even know. What day is it today? Thursday at Thursday, seven. Oh, no, it's Sunday. Yeah. Ten so days. Tomorrow it'll be in. Nine days. I'll save that for the Rampage preview. No, stick around for that one. Thanks, Will Bond. <laughs> uh, you messaged me last night. Um, oh, Hamlet, you're not staying up for Dynamite, are you? Yeah. It's like, you've been on Twitter, Will Bond. No. Five minutes later. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I love the serial love. Yeah. The <laughs> literally carnage on wrestling Twitter last night. That is unbelievable. Anything, anything thoughts you want to share right now? No, I don't know what happens anymore. I've got my, <laughs> I've got my suspicions, but uh, it's just not worth going into. I like observing with a wry laugh, but I'm not getting into who's in the right, who's in the wrong. I've got my suspicions, but. I don't know for sure. And maybe, maybe the people who say certain things <laughs> have a good, broader point, even if they themselves are potentially hypocritical. Let's just say that. I, I think you can probably say that. I'm, uh, I'm not doing a Dean Ambrose leaving as a work situation here, but I fully expect CM Punk to be on collision. Yeah. I, like, 100%. That's the one but thing. at what I'm, cost? At what cost? At what cost? You told this community, like, the, of that I'm certain, everything else along the way, including what last night's announcement that suddenly became Excalibur oh first God. segment. Of course, we've got Tony Khan's elaboration coming up. Wait a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the huge <laughs> announcement, uh, that, the elaboration on the yeah. announcement earlier. It's it like, oh, lads. does add a bit of like, you know, kind of fuel to the fire from yesterday, but I still think mm. Punk will be there regardless. I just, I don't imagine this is the journey some of the key players I expected to take. It's when I logged on and then I saw people like, oh, just to clarify, here's what, Alvarez said on the the podcast or whatever, and I was like, "Why are people getting wound up by this?" Because I was like, "Of course he's not on the promotional materials. Mm. You don't put your big surprise on the promotional materials." And then I realised, "Oh no, I've I've just scratched the surface of this." And uh, yeah, that was me for a good half an hour. If we just do this now while we're doing collision talk, it means we can just skip over Tony Khan's elaboration later on in the show. Um, the United Center was booked. Is it like? Unbooked for a week until they figure this latest mess out, and then they just go somewhere smaller because they're in. Is it the Wind Trust? It's called now. They're there a couple of days before anyway. Like, so they just say, "Can we we'll just cancel this?" Like, because if he's not on the card, United Center is a big venue. Probably don't need it. I know it'd be like cool for Collision, but does the show itself being there for history draw that audience? I don't know. I would be inclined to say no with AEW's domestic business at the moment. I think even with Punk, it's getting ten thousand. Yeah, not eighteen. Ah, right, well, that's the thing, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So, like. What's what's that about? Like, the United Center was the very reason we all started going, right, Saturday, collision, punk. Yeah. Like, that booking was what allowed us to put that all together. And now this week, Tony Khan's doing his elaboration, saying, and we're going to save the destination for the first collision for seven days' time. That's the one we bit we knew. Best. That's the one bit we knew, Tony. Yeah. What's going on? I don't know what's going on. And I'm not informed, so I'm not going to say anything. He's bought himself another announcement slot on next week's Dynamite. It's oh, just so it's just so weird. Like I don't want to put the guy over, and I'm not doing that because what he does is an evil, very manipulative thing. 
But if you can trust what has turned out of CM Punk's career, whether he's got a really good justification for behaving the way that he apparently has per PW Insider and Dave Meltzer, okay, when look what was given to him. Like, I always used to, when you read interviews and listen to podcasts and they tell you about the Vince McMahon Jedi mind trick mm. of how he can get you to do things. Because he's a manipulative piece of I'm <laughs> putting over how evil he is. Yeah. I always used to think, well, it's an obviously stupid idea. Why are you doing it? Because he told you. And if you, I can't believe CM Punk did the things he did in WWE, work through injuries, do certain creative things, when we know what the man is like away from mm. Vince McMahon in that system. WWE is what it is because Vince McMahon was the best, worst boss. Like, he was so incredibly effective at getting it's his performers to do these things and yeah. turn it into this the crazy Jedi, content I factory. just always think, well, how do you get Jedi mind-tricked into thinking, oh, that's a good idea, actually, when it's going to nearly kill your career or your, or your perception with the fans? And you just think... This has really brought into focus to me. Like, I can't explain it, but I'll certainly buy it. Mm. Speaking of which, we'll be uh, doing a Get the Table, all about Vince McMahon, Triple H, and WWE Creative and the truth behind everything going on there a little bit later on today. But let's get into AW Dynamite. Uh, the show opened with a promo, of course. Ooh. Uh, Wardlow comes out <laughs> uh, immediately. No messing about. You said this in the office earlier. No, no playing games. If you said you're going to spit in my face this week, let's have it out then. I love that, by the way. I yeah. want to put that over as a detail. Why would Wardlow sit and wait to like the uh, halfway through the second hour? Seg six. Yeah, like oh, Christian, you... stick around. Wardlow's going to get spat in the face later. Aye. <laughs> so uh, of course he calls out uh, Christian Cage. Who comes out with Luchasaurus there as his back off. Uh, back up even, and there's a face-off. Um, bit of jaw jacking off mic. It was good, that. Yeah, TNT champion. Your time as TNT champion is just about over. And he... Statistically, it probably is, and then he'll, <laughs> and then he'll win it back. Uh, he basically... Was it called hocking a loogie? Is that a fr the right phrase? He, he's it. about to goz in his face um, when, uh, obviously, Wardlow... It's very, um, like, new metal era... Jock American culture phrase, that, isn't it? Hockaloogie. Hockaloogie. When you say goz in the face, that sounds almost uh, like you're talking about something else. <laughs> goz. Spit. Yeah, spit. With, with phlegm. Mm. Hockaloogie was a Beavis and Butthead mini game yeah. on their PC game. <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's about to do it. Wardlow grabs him. Luchasaurus gets involved. A big a brawl breaks out, but of course, with the two-on-one advantage uh, and a low blow, I should point out, Christian Cage and and uh, Luchasaurus have knocked down Wardlow. Luchasaurus, just so happens, uh, to pull a ladder out from uh, from under the ring. He uh, sets it up in the corner. He choke slams Wardlow through. It's all mangled and twisted and what have you. And Christian Cage looks at that and goes, yeah, that's a good thing to uh, hit a kill switch right onto, which he subsequently does. Uh, and Cage stands over him with the TNT Championship. I liked the idea that Wardlow didn't want to wait. I was convinced by the off-mic trash talk, and I thought that was a really good decision, and I believed, I thought they were really sort of um, getting lost in their own performances. This, I've got two problems with this. One is such a WWE-ass setup of, <laughs> oh, there's a ladder. I instantly knew whether they're going to make it into a ladder match, and it's just right. Okay, this is how WWE does it. A bit of plunder will like suddenly materialize from under the wacky ring, and then all right, okay, well let's have a ladder match. That's 
worked out. Always happens around TLC, doesn't it? Yeah, it, this is really deeply contrived. And another reason why I'm not a fan of this is if you're going to do a ladder match, do it on TV to pop a rating after double or nothing because I was really looking forward to the idea of Christian Cage being the one to really lead Wardlow through a kind of complex 14 to 15 minute match that isn't reliant on these awesome hot spots that Wardlow has. Um, because I don't think off the top of my head, I've seen him craft something really elegant. That's not what Wardlow is. And that's, you know, not why people have like been drawn to him, but he kind of has to do it at some point. If he's going to fulfill that promise in 2022, the spring of which is a A1 headliner. So I was kind of thinking he was going to get a bit of a, a crash course in that, but he's going to get a different crash course. And it'll be fun, but I think this could have waited as a step. Mm. Yeah. Generally surprised he didn't get juice either. Well, uh, maybe they're saving that because they want the match to mean a bit more because ladder matches don't mean much. And that was my fundamental problem with this. Of all the people where you think, oh, we'll give Wardlow some bells and whistles here for the... Like, where something's clicked with this Arn Anderson pairing. We might have just, like, like maybe an all-time Tony Khan Hail Mary play with Wardlow that's worked. Um, now we want the match to deliver as well. And whoever it's against, maybe, like, this would be weird, but, like, the Samojo matches weren't clicking. So let's say, hypothetically, they just throw a ladder in there. I think, well, there'll be stunts. People are like that. Of all the wrestlers, I think Christian's right down at the bottom of the list. These people need to. I understand that Christian's got loads of ladder law. And he was an architect in laying them out. They will lean into that, and that's going to be great. But to Sidgwick's point, I was looking forward to seeing some of like Christian's dark art stuff. Mm. Oh, I was totally drawn into this wrestling match that Wardlow just had for 20 minutes on a pay He's obviously like, great at gimmick matches from the one he did with Jungle Boy. Well, he was one of the key components in putting the TLC matches mm. together. Yeah. I have no doubt. I'm not doubting the I quality. Have, I just wanted both. Yeah, like, can, can, like contrasting some of the ladder matches now, this will be better. But it's hard not to grown a bit when you see the ladder and you hear the stipulation. It's like, you know, we're going to be in the building to see potentially Wardlow try his swanton bomb off the top of the ladder. How's that not going to rule? It's going to tear the house down. But I think them working a headlock would have torn the house down well in ways that, like, Christian mm. shows without needing to yeah. tell. So, bit of a shame. Got a bit of your fear next, because then we I'm got... scared of everything. <laughs> <laughs> we got Orange Cassidy versus... Uh, sorry, Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen. What a tag team that is, by the way, versus uh, Lee Moriarty and Big Bill. Uh, first time since they got deleted by Matt Hardy, of course. But I was looking at the clock going, are we gonna, we've got enough time for this? Because <laughs> I know what everything else that we previewed yesterday. Um, I like the fact that Orange Cassidy is slowly becoming... A mummy. He's just got tape everywhere, tape over his hands. I think he had tape on his back this uh, this time. Um, starts off with Big Bill chucking Darby Allen around like a empty tracksuit, in the words of Adam Nicholas. Um, Darby Allen slaps Big Bill, uh, and he and Orange Cassidy hit some dives to the floor, but Big Bill connects with a big boot uh, to take us to a break. When we come back, Darby Allen gets the hot tag, runs wild, just uses his body as only Darby Allen can to fight them both off. Um, He's taken on Lee Moriarty, but then he jumps straight into the big boss man slam from Big Bill. Uh, Moriarty gets set up in the corner. Uh, Darby Allen and Orange Cassidy hit a double superplex, but immediately get nailed by a Big Bill clothesline. Um, to take Bill out, Stun Dog Millionaire into a code red. Uh, Moriarty gets hit with beach break and a coffin drop, uh, but Darby Allen doesn't want to win with that. He instead. Uh, nails him with the headlock takeover to get the victory for his team. Absolutely wonderful finish. That will doubtlessly inform an incredible near fall 
um, at double or nothing. And I thought this match was really, really fun. And it had a purpose because it's planting a seed. Um, the wider storyline or one of the subplots of the entire night, which I don't think was that successful if you put it all together, but the idea that Darby, Sammy, and Jack Perry all worked and MJF didn't, it sort of backs up everything that mm. they've been saying at MJF's expense to, to criticize them. Um, so I don't think that worked Overall, this is probably the most successful version because you've teased a finish, you've built a near fall, and as a match in and of itself, this is just a sublime little watch, like a really lovingly put-together TV match, and it continues my theory that the deepest inside gag that comedy wrestler Orange Cassidy, and he's much better than that, obviously, but as core, he's still a comedy wrestler. The deepest cut, his most densely layered joke, is that he is making it impossible for so-called old-school vanguards defenders to criticize him in bad faith. This is a guy who last year in Detroit worked a match with a much larger opponent in Ethan Page in Detroit and built it around trying to give him the body slam. And it was so elegant and it was so simple, but it was so well-performed, so well-paced. It is selling so great that he got a major pop for doing that in 2023 in Detroit. I shouldn't have to tell you the significance of that. He's making it impossible for the old school wrestlers to genuinely bury him in good faith. And this is a continuation of that because, yes, he did some of his shtick. It's Orange Cassidy. His Ricky Morton here, <laughs> when his body is falling apart and you thought at one point Darby Allen just wasn't going to get the tag in, it was chef's kiss. Mm. The man is so deep in his thinking and I just really appreciate that about him. And it never feels like a mean-spirited mockery of old-school wrestling. He simply does it on the sly, I think. That, you know, so I can do everything. I'm Orange Cassidy. <laughs> but it's never like pastiche. It's just a good version of all of the good old things that are timeless. Yeah, I thought that all of this end-to-end was just absolutely delightful. I thought like Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen. Um, Darby Allen is a pillar. And Orange Cassidy is too. Whatever a pillar is, they are that. Mm. Because you put them together and they feel like an AW super team. Like a one-night special edition sort of thing. And I know they've been putting them together on the house shows as well. And But they feel like AW main eventers in any context. And they did here. Um, equally, there is an art to being, I think the Butcher and the Blade have mastered this. And not many others have. There is an art to being the obvious losers in this AW formula match. And Big Bill and Lee Moriarty feel like that straight away. If yeah. it's the end of the firm, I hope it's not the end of them. Because it's, it's the end of the firm. They Lee Moriarty pointed out, because I think a few people saw the match graphic and said, oh, I thought the firm had got del- deleted. And they used to put the firms, ah, Big Bill and Lee Moriarty, when they had a tag match. And now it's just Big Bill and Lee Moriarty. So they're going to be a tag team going forward, Great. it feels like. Can we sure get more clarification from the Hardys on Rampage about that one, though? The division needs them, and they've proven themselves here as very serviceable losers and maybe yeah. eventually like dangerous heels. Great. So like, just loved all of that. And for a match that was as good as this to exist as much as anything to hide a very important detail coming later for Orange Cassidy and a reason why on this Dynamite and the next Dynamite, he can't defend his title for yeah. the double or nothing match to make as perfect sense as it does, is really inspired because he's the fighting champion. So how do you work around him being the fighting champion? You have him get his ass kicked in like a really competitive tag team match that also puts over one of your main eventers. This is what impresses me. Like, there were a lot of things going on in something that ostensibly was just a real fun knockabout opener. Loved it. One note, 
just one. I don't want to tell people how to do their jobs. I just thought after Darby Allen hit the headlock takeover, he should have done the wanker sim. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, Marvez is trying to catch up with the Young Bucks as they're arriving, wheeling their suitcases in. Then we oh, see yeah. the Blackpool co- Combat, three three of the Blackpool, Blackpool Combat Club circle behind them. <laughs> they hoy their wheelie suitcases out. Big brawl breaks out. Numbers game catches up to them, of course. Three on two. Claudio chucks Nick into the truck. Matt's injured arm slammed onto it. They beat him up, and John Moxley says, we're the elite, actually. Great. Great. This was the antithesis of the opener, where you are using, albeit a very wacky environment, in a really organic-feeling way, so where they had to draw a ladder that just happened to be under the ring, which can't have been planted there, really, because Wardlow came out first. They used an organic object that had every right to be at the scene. It just organically belonged there, and then they used it as a weapon to make it more realistic, to feel it more organic, to feel to make it feel more urgent. And then he took a Nick Jackson took a wicked bump on that car hood. Great stuff. Really good um, blocking. The BCC is heels look really frightening sometimes. The way they ga- lurked menacingly yeah, the, behind them. The way they gather around people in these backstage areas is legitimately frightening. It puts over the best version of this heel, like the heel turn. And I uh, throw in the suitcases. I couldn't have loved it more. Like, I respect, uh, like, obviously, he's in a freak of nature physically anyway. But, like, it makes you respect Claudio more that he just has to, like, let a suitcase bounce off his chest. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> he has to sell it a bit for the benefit of the attack. But, like, for real, like, I th- sometimes think that. But, like, we get so used to wrestlers taking big bumps that sometimes the things in your daily life that make you go, oh, yeah. Like, they don't. He just has to shake that off and get on with, like, selling a brawl. I'm going to pack for Vegas over the next two nights just you know so I feel like I'm getting something yeah. done and I'm going to get Francis to throw a suitcase at yeah. me <laughs> an, an empty one how much does this really hurt and then like the next day you've got like a little bruise a couple of cuts like where the wheel is just rubbed against you for the friction ah I'm going to ask her and he just <laughs> please film this he just brushes it off he's going to film it <laughs> the kids yeah Charlotte be, like, she'll be filming the carpet <laughs> Uh, this is where we got the medical update on Wardlow on Anderson. It's not an invisible camera in every house, you know. WWE's <laughs> bad for this. Do you get this? You're trying to tell you for the last six years. Uh, <laughs> suitcase gets thrown at Sidgwick, and then the camera lingers on his face, selling for a good six seconds too long. Ow! Cut then. <laughs> Francis stares at hands. Uh, Arn Anderson's furious. He knocks the ice pack away from Wardlow. What are you prepared to do, he says. And he says, I'm prepared to... Just so happens, book a ladder match for Christian Cage, a double or nothing. Um, and Renee Paquette is then backstage, working very hard, um, with Orange Cassidy. She talks about Cole Fletcher uh, attacking him last week. Everyone wants a shot at the inter- international title. He says, well, if you want one, go and see Tony Khan. I'll fight anyone and everyone, basically. More on that in a little bit. Sammy Guevara squashed Exodus Prime, jumping EGTH. Uh, it was all about the promo afterwards. He says... Um, I remember being here on the Indies, you know, work in Texas. Everything I went through made me what I am today. Um, talked about taking a few wrong turns, but it all took him to the right place, which is double or nothing. Uh, Guevara listens to his heart, which tells him he's going to be the new AEW world champion. What was this? Sammy Guevara, pick a lane challenge impossible. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what he is. No. I don't know who he is. I don't think it's a good idea to make the three call on one babyface ratio a thing ahead of double and nothing. That will probably twist and turn in the match itself. If we preview the pay-per-view at some point, we will, which we will. Um, probably better to go into it there. 
Or maybe just repeat myself and get more ad money. <laughs> um, I just... He's cutting these babyface promos, and he seems to have turned babyface, and there's three babyfaces against one. I don't think his delivery was particularly great. Um, I just don't know what's going on. And I thought having Jack Perry work Roosh mm. and having Guevara work um, Exodus Prime with his contacts because he's on TV, my heart went out for him a little bit. So that's not going to work. Mm. Um, don't do that. Uh, I just thought, wonky, because you've got Sammy Guevara cutting this impassioned babyface spiel when he either isn't a babyface or shouldn't be a babyface in the context of a four-way match. And Jack Perry is doing the most babyface in-ring work. Felt like, oh, I've just beaten this guy, and that's my last step before the title. It's like, you hit the GTS on him in like five seconds. Mm. You can, you, could you not have just done a we hear from Sammy Guevara? Or he worked a lengthier match and just cut something else from the show. This is just the pillars business was strange, and yet something else later in the show was perfect about it. Continues to be a, just a wildly uneven experience. Yeah, this sat uneasily with me, and I think Sidgwick summed that up about like it was a, less about the Sammy Guevara thing individually for me, and more about how the whole evening there was bits of the pillars story. What I'll elaborate on later that I really liked, really liked, and yet as a kind of really like a summary of this story as a whole you never really get through a full week where you're just completely happy with it mm. i got the idea that all three of them wrestle mjf doesn't throw back to kind of what's always been the main criticism levied at mjf but these matches are not the same like sammy doesn't compare to the two proper physical offerings from the people you already know to be baby faces and yet they present sammy as a baby face so right we the a accept him as a babyface and it doesn't feel earned because he's just had like a 20 second squash and even when he's delivering a babyface promo he comes off obnoxious because it's just not his natural way or b he's trying to fool us as fans and fool his fellow babyfaces into this three-on-one situation to turn them in the night where you were there two weeks ago when you were agreeing to take a dive for money so why mm. these pivots are so jarring for this Sammy Guevara character, more so than any others, more so than Darby Allen sort of accidentally healing himself with those promos or Jungle Boy later on doing something I think was a, a little breadcrumb. He, Sammy Guevara has been the worst booked of the four in a four-man story that's not been very well booked. I've never been more assured of my position that the world title shouldn't main event this pay-per-view. It will. It will. I'm that's, sure it will. That's but what I, Tony Khan does. Yeah. But I, there's, there's no argument for me that this is the, the weakest world title match they've put on paper. It just might struggle. I don't think it maybe it even won't struggle to follow. They're all incredible at their own things. Oh, but yeah. I just, it might struggle to follow a couple of other things on this card. And that's where they'll, like, that's where the company will be punished for the booking. But mm. I think the wrestlers will work around it. I have a lot of faith in the four of them, actually. I've got a lot of faith in the main event being incredible. Um, but, you know, there was like two months before on TV. What's interesting, and again, this is more pay-per-view preview stuff, I guess, is what he puts in the penultimate buffer spot. I can guess. Oh, With the women's world title match. Yeah. 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 Case closed. Did <laughs> <laughs> Cargill open challenge? Challenge. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because the thing is, that it's weird, like you say, they're, they're sort of muddling it all and they've had that tournament and what have you and then they do stuff like what came next which was like a history of the four pillars and Excalibur talking about how they're the present and the future of AW so it's, it, it just it feels like they don't really know what they're doing here less is more with yeah. all of this as well because the video package week was like it wasn't like hot stuff that everybody was talking about, but it was effective build, if nothing else. Bit bit NXT. That's the sort of thing yeah. that like, you know, that's getting the functional stuff right. 
But um, theoretically, old NXT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, not, not the one we've covered now. Yeah. The um, MJF is is a made man. He's a top guy in every sense, and he has mm. obviously surpassed them all. Darby Allen feels like he's just underneath, but. The I can see why they want to lead with this as a main event and want to keep telling this story because it's still very much AEW saying we're still always thinking about the future. This is like a youth, and it's four years in, but it's still a youth movement fundamentally. Mm. The elite in the BCC are these established stars and they're not going to main event. They're going to go on. And Anarchy in the Arena is going to rule, but it's going to go on third, fourth, from last, whatever, because we're still wanting to constantly think of the future. But it's always better when they show that rather than tell you mm. and i think that's why you need the video packages as the reminders that they have actually done the work for years and why the match on the night will be great it's they've, they've just not done a very good job of kind of like add some drama to the basics well speaking of the youth movement jeff jarrett came out next <laughs> uh, alongside jay lethal satnam singh and sanjay dutts they've got guitars with ftr's names on them um, it's literally incredible from the first second because that was when the guitars got lifted and all of it rolled afterwards yeah all of it I'm going to take, I don't want to spoil it, and please do go and check out the whole article uh, at workculture.com forward slash WWE. But Michael Hamlet's writing ups and downs this week. I think, I want to put my neck out here, I reckon he's going to give this an up. And so he should. I wanted to give it five ups. (laughs) We don't do golden ups on the articles, do we? Except for today. That's Miller's gimmick. Yeah. One up, like guitar for each member of FER. Second up, the push that you're about to describe. And on and on and on it goes. Yeah. This is great. So, uh, what are we calling them? Uh, we haven't decided a name for the, all of them. I still think of them as Triple J, but there's loads of them now. Planet Jarrett is the way to go yeah. with this one. Bring that back. Yeah. Um, so, they all come out, and they're making their entrance. Like I say, we've got the guitars, but then Dax and Cash of FTR run out. <laughs> push, push that up, sing off the stage through a table. He takes an incredible bump. Uh, it's this was so amazing. It's amazing. He's wearing, like, a teal suit. Looking so sharp, and you just see this like a hundred foot man in a suit, <laughs> like a timber. <laughs> and FTR, and it's worth. I like like the stuff last year. Like what was how old a daughter fight like an eight year old girl? Like yeah. incredibly sweet, and they've got that. But like it does, it's worth them relying on the fact that they were they were the original bastards of bringing that back to tag team wrestling, yeah. and they need to do that sometimes. And I like them leaning on that. Uh, so Wheeler's getting some chair shots in on Jeff Jarrett. Dax Alwood is simultaneously beating up and stripping Jay Lethal. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, they set up in the ring anyway. They're going to hit the shatter machine on Jeff Jarrett when the real star of the whole thing, Karen Jarrett, appears. Yeah. Oh my God. Low blows Wheeler. Um, Jeff hits the stroke on Dax. Satnam Singh's recovered and he is pissed off. He hits FTR with a double choke slam and they set up. And nail. Oh, my God. Double guitar shots on FTR. And one of the guitars is still a sufficient <laughs> skeleton for <laughs> Sanjay Dutt to play it whilst Lethal and Jarrett hold the tag titles in the air, which I hope happens in, well, just over... Nine days! Well, me too. It's not going to, but Christ Almighty yet again. As he did here, Jeff Jarrett is going to hold the title belt and it's going to be enough. He's assembling a gallery of his own images of the times <laughs> he's like somehow got on his greasy hands on an AEW Championship belt. God damn this segment, man. Like, I'm going to say this about a match on this show, but this segment was perfection. Like, the push and everything that followed, the brawl, stripping Jay Lethal was great because it just felt um, chaotic and dangerous as like ringside brawls should feel like out of control, basically. Yeah. Karen Jarrett is a spectacular pantomime heel, 
and Jeff Jarrett has brought pantomime back to the mainstream. So she, I, like, I promise you, she fits. I, I sense that people were approaching Karen Jarrett's arrival with caution in the same way they were Jeff Jarrett. It's just like, surely you've got to give this a go because yeah. the Jarrett thing has gone better than any of you would have expected. She was, like, flicking her hair and pointing at the crowd while, like, waiting to hit the low blow. She was like, I'm going to take a few extra seconds. Yeah, I'm yeah. Karen goddamn Jarrett. Low blow was great. And the big rig, the construction of that spot was earnestly great. So the big rig, the low blow stops the big rig. And then... When Dax turns around, he's positioned himself perfectly for a, a, a stroke as a sneak attack. So that was great too. The double guitars moment was not just because it looked awesome and they had their weapons labelled and they called the shot. It was to show that they are they can be just as good at the dirty double team and as FTR. Like, take us seriously as a threat. This is weapon stuff, but we can beat you. And I would give anything to swap lives with the person at ringside that got, as a keepsake, Satnam Singh's jacket when he took it off in a rage and just threw it out. It's like this torn up jacket that he threw out into the crowd. Somebody got that. It'd uh, be a coat for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like a trench coat. I couldn't have loved this more. Yet again, AW, when it operates at its peak level, is untouchable because the simple arrangement of how things played out here is what they do better than anyone. I think you should say that again because I think a lot of people have uh, really remarked that WWE is held to a different standard. Just say that one more time. AW, when it operates at its peak, simply is incomparable as a pro wrestling promotion. Yes, it is. Like, nobody does sports entertainment better than WWE. But, like, <laughs> that's not what AW... <laughs> that is simply not what AW exists for. It exists, it exists for this. This and wrestling energy. And this both, pro yeah. wrestling energy at which WWE is criminally mm. incapable of generating. This is amazing. People who hold my analysis to account will bury me for not pointing out these two problems, okay? One, we hear from FTR. When was that going to be on the show? Mm. Should have heard from Planet Jarrett for this to have made perfect 100% sense. Mm -hmm. Two, why were the tables there? They were there so Satnam could fall through them. That being said, I'm not watching this necessarily for logic, this particular mm. program, this feud, and I'm not watching it because I'm really emotionally invested in it. It's stupid Memphis heat. Yeah, they went to the farm the other week. It's incredible. I'm so on the hook for this match. Like, I'm sort of uneven on the various builds to double or nothing, but there's four matches that I'm bang, bang, bang into the builds yeah. for. This is one of them. It was so good. This was so good that I was into the idea of the match, then the down on the farm and the special guest referee, them elevating my least favorite trope was like, okay, well, I'm going to buy it. I'm watching it. I'm, if I'm a punter, yeah. I'm on the hook. This was this is match selling stuff. This is pay per view go home selling stuff. What have they got planned for next week? I don't think they're going to top this. No. I don't think they're going to try video package promos next week. Isn't it? Yeah, like this is cocaine eel stuff. Karen Jarrett is yet another problem. Special guest referee Mark Briscoe just doesn't need. Yeah, <laughs> like that, that's like that's another person on the outside that's really good at cheating on behalf of Jeff Jarrett. Like, how is he going to cope with this? He's not. He's going to slip at some point, and he's going to all of a sudden potentially afford the heels. Papa Briscoe, guest enforcer. Oh, man, yeah, like yeah. for the running. Yeah, but like the points at which FTR are going to get legitimately frustrated with Mark Briscoe for missing stuff when they, for years, were like fantastic yeah. cheaters to the point where, right, time to get down in the muck as well then, and something, you know, they'll do something. The, the potential for stuff in this match is out the ass. Absolutely out the ass. One more thing. Right. I wasn't just sold on this match through this incredible angle and through the really entertaining stuff they've done beforehand okay this angle was so electrifying and so funny and so effective and a, like a really clever bit of daft memphis heat i was interested in watching three versions of this match 
When Satnam went through the table, I thought, right, do that spot at the pay-per-view again. When you turn this into a tables match. <laughs> when I saw Dax get his belt, or was it Lethal who got Lenny, the belt? Yeah, Lethal, started, Lethal yeah. got the belt. I was like, well, make it into a strap match then. <laughs> because that spot was awesome. And then when they were taking their clothes off, I was like, right, make it a tuxedo match <laughs> Do a best of seven with all these daft gimmicks. <laughs> yes. Because literally everything you've done here is incredible. Like, yeah. Incredible. Incredible teasers of like a best of seven of that. <laughs> what an angle this was. Like just so electrifying. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Renee Paquette is uh, backstage with Darby Allen, and uh, yeah, they talk about the headlock takeover finish and says, obviously, it's a message to MJF. Sammy Guevara walks in, says, I respect you, Darby. Um, you know, Brooks and Jensen. Yeah. And Guevara said he knows uh, Darby Allen obviously doesn't trust him, but he's not going to lay down for MJF. All that matters at Double Nothing is that MJF doesn't walk away as AW champion. Uh, may the best man win, and there's a there's a fist bump in there. Again, just confusing this. Yeah, I, I'm more saying this after the Jungle Boy match. I think I think they've thrown something in there that I really quite like. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and oh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, sorry, boys. I've got all my notes all messed up here because I appear to have written down a women's match in the first hour. <laughs> Um, I'm just fed up of, you know, companies bait and switching me, though, because it was meant to be a trios match, and we didn't get it. Um, tag match. <laughs> Tony Storm and Ruby Soho, the outcast with Soraya, versus Rip Baker and Hikaru Shida. I'm joking, of course. Get well soon, Jamie H. She's injured. Presumably, it's not too serious, because obviously, what came later? Um, fast start from Storm and Soho. They try and d- jump Shida, who immediately just turns to turns the tables on them, suplexes them, well, into each other, it felt like, in the corner. Uh, Baker comes in, it's a ripcord elbow, but Soraya's just running interference on the outside, of course. Um, that allows um, 
well, that distracts Baker. That allows Storm to hit her with the charging hip attack. And Soraya gets in some more cheap shots as we go to a break. When we come back, in comes uh, Shida and Soho. They go back and forth. Uh, Shida just starts nailing everyone with right hands. The noise here for Shida was, was amazing. Yeah, she's class. Um, that forearm assault later yeah, in the match yeah. was unreal as well. Uh, she hits a crossbody to the floor and all of the outcasts um, get back in. She hits a meteor off the top onto Soho. Tony Storm dives in to break it up. Um, Baker stacks Storm and Soho. It's a neck breaker DDT combo for a nice near fall. Um, she's going for lockjaw. Soho manages to get out of it. No future. Storm makes the tag. Um, Baker connects with an air raid crash, but again, Soraya's running distraction. Uh, Storm sprays Baker in the eyes whilst the referee doesn't see it. Hits Storm zero. One, two, three. That is Storm's fourth win in five days in AEW, which obviously led to the title challenge later on. This was really, really good. Like, really, really strong. What I loved about it is that it was just completely all action from the get-go. They didn't try and do carny stuff because they just perfected carny stuff in the preceding angle. So they just went all action, really, really tight. There was no... Like, it wasn't too simple. It was really frenetic, and everything was sort of exchanged at a furious pace. But just for, like, lean and focused, where sometimes... Britt Baker can be guilty of getting like losing the thread of what she's doing in a match. There was none of that. This is just class. Like really, really effective, all action, tag team wrestling that made you really like the baby faces. And I think that was really necessary as well because it's hard to like heels when they're not transgressing. They're not hurting anyone's feelings. They're just doing the same thing every week. So this felt like, right, okay, if the heels aren't getting over that much, let's do a, just do a kick-ass, babyface, all-action, super team. Mm. It just felt like they're coming together of two people who've had a significant historical contribution to this division, which, on the basis of this match, must have meant something sometime along the way. It's one of the many problems with only having one women's match on Dynamite, which is one of the reasons why we highlight it is that the women are under quite a, like a unique pressure that the men aren't to try and deliver a scaled-down version of everything in their one short, badly-positioned match. When the men, ha you're going to get like five different men's matches. The buffet is mm. wide open in the men's division on Dynamite, whereas you pretty much have to have the whole thing in one match. And what often happens is it leans too hard on being one thing or another, and then it kind of fails to satisfy in any regard. This was like as slick and as all action, as Cedric points out, as it was stiff and feeling like it was very tethered to the feud, yeah. which is that they want to fight each other. It's it's a bit similar to the Elite and the BCC, and it's like heart and soul versus outliers or whatever. But the way they manifested this as like a fight, but still full of really cool action sequences was really impressive. They wouldn't have that pressure if there was one match that was a women's brawl and another one that was a super cool technical clash. Yeah. But they don't have that opportunity. So it's forced upon them every single week. And I do think that's sometimes why Abrit Baker might lose a thread because her especially, she is asked, especially as a heel, to be controlling the heat and controlling the match and then get violent and then get serious and bleed and whatever. And I just thought they absolutely nailed it here. And the crowd, for me, I've sort of sensed it in the last few weeks, but Homegrown's Outsiders has worked, and this was objective evidence of it, because I would say for the second or third week in a row, the crowd was super responsive to it all, just like the word Shida angle. They were hot for all of this this angle. I think we can start labelling it as an objective success. I wish it wasn't so lazy at points, but that's never been that fault's never been at the door of the performers, and I'm 
as excited for Storm Hater. The best singles match out of the six, yeah. I would say, is Storm and Hater. So great that we're going to get that. And I'm excited for more angle advancement going into AEW Summer because on the basis of this, they've really gotten this over. Yeah. Well, before we move on... Not punching down on Tamina these days. Unless like a really good witticism comes to mind. <laughs> In which case my morals will mean nothing. Uh before we get my to the conscience will mean nothing. Everyone's got a price. A witticism. No, that's the thing. Everyone's got a price. And for me it's can I say something funny? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before we get to the name of the game, so what's the aim of the game here? The aim of the game is to identify to the hour, minute, and second the first time you hear the first entrance theme for the first woman for the obligatory women's match on Dynamite to underscore italicize and put in bold. That is, in fact, obligatory. And the name of the game is, well, this is late as night, and I'm thinking, oh, what a night. Ah. Please do the gimmick at the casino with, with Miller. Please. Oh, we were, oh, let's make it. When your luck runs out. Ah. When your luck runs out. Ah. Uh, Shah, as always, to... Uh, I don't... He doesn't strike me as a gambler. No. I'm a gambler. <laughs> you're De- I'm a degenerate gambler. All I'm saying is all's better off. All I'm saying is I'm 24 95 up on my... Uh, that's £24.95, not £2,495. <laughs> <laughs> up on Skybed. Fair play. Love it, like, just 25 quid in hand. Straight on red. Black. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Going home. <laughs> Can I have my free beer, please, for gambling <laughs> in the casino? Wait, what? Yeah, I want to... As, like as, as long as you gamble it, they'll give you free drinks. I heard stories about this. You go over to, like, one of the like, one-armed bandits and just put, like, a couple of dollars in or something, and a waitress will come over, I like, get you a beer, and then just tip. Tip well, and the beers and the food will keep coming. Apparently, I want to put this to Truth. the test. I've lived it. What are you telling me that for? You got any Mountain Dew pitch black back there? <laughs> Keep it coming. Um, shout as always to uh, Adam Blair at Adam Wilton 4 and Jose Palomares at the Ho 11 who always take care of the um, data for this one. Uh, Sige, yeah. have you got the timings that we guessed on yesterday's preview in descending order? Never going to learn it. No. Yes. Right there. Adam Wilborn, 0 hours, 22 minutes, 48 seconds. Michael Hamflet, 0 hours, 48 minutes, and 16 Good. seconds. Michael Sidgwick, 1 hour, 23 minutes, 59 seconds. Probably guess where this is going. Uh, Michael Hamflet, another win for you. Uh, which takes you to six correct guesses on the year. Michael Sidgwick has five, I have three. But yeah, bit of a break next week, considering you guys will be out there. Mm-hmm. So if you bump into them, you can play or sing the theme tune <laughs> to the Dadleys in person. We will, if you bump into us. Obviously, it'll be great to meet you. We will take in-person ladies' night submissions. <laughs> we'll make that a yeah, bit. Yeah. We'll make that a bit, a special live edition. Um, At this rate, we'll be doing it on bloody double or nothing. What's that about? Uh, Renee Paquette is backstage again with Orange Cassidy and uh, reveals that since they last spoke earlier on in the show, 20 people have gone to Tony Khan's office and answered the challenge, to which he says, oh, sounds like a lot. Well, why don't we put me in there? That makes it 21. Let's I make knew it there'd be a 21 thing. Uh, yeah. A blackjack battle royal for the international <laughs> title. He even offers Renee Paquette a spot in the match. She's like, I'm good. Is this 
the best. They are absolutely obsessed with casino stuff gimmick ever. Because it's certainly better than the suits of the cards battle Ugh, royal. You still might get that. And uh, I'm not sure I ever want to see a casino. Well, actually, it makes mm. no sense. <laughs> this is so stupid. It <laughs> makes no sense to do suits because it's blackjack. Yeah. But they did it anyway. Yeah, they'll probably battle do royal it again. came out in fives or whatever it was, didn't they? I don't ever want to see a casino ladder match ever again after the... Right, can we get to the MGF bit, please? <laughs> Why are these wrestlers not going for the chip? Ever, I never want to see one of them again. What if I just ended in three minutes? Yeah. <laughs> you're, like, you're coming out in fifth and thinking, oh, well, I'll put my gear on for nothing. Yeah. Pay <laughs> for that Rolling Stones music for now. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is brilliant. This is the best storyline-driven, incentivized, casino-themed match they've ever done. Mm. And possibly more than all of his singles defences, I desperately want Orange Cassidy to prevail. Yeah. Fantastic, this. I think the ends will justify the means, but it would be remiss of me to make him running joke of the otherwise incredibly talented Wesley for saying, I'll fight 10 guys. Yes. They go, that's stupid. Orange Cassidy, I'll fight 20 guys. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's a bit daft. Like, it takes the fighting champion thing, maybe one joke too far. Like, go away. Mm. But it's a bit much. It's going to be a rumble, you would assume, as well. Yeah. So, like, he's got to come in number one and go the distance. Is that the, is that the crack? My only question, Sige, is, you know, with the casino gimmicks, we often have a, a special entrant. Are we going to get... Uh... The Joker, baby. <laughs> we had that. The Joker, baby, have two. The Joker, bruv. Ooh. Oh, my God. You think I'm f***ing joking? I'm f***ing win that international title. I'm the best international star on the f***ing planet. Wrestling Australia did so much for that scene. Brit Rez, of course. Of course. Of course. Of course, bloody of course. I want to ask you what I was telling. Um, so then we go to Tony Khan. Of course, uh, last week Tony Khan made an announcement. I've got 22. How's that wrong? <laughs> <laughs> So, of course, uh, last week, Tony Khan made an announcement that he was going to make a big announcement this week. Um, This week's announcement was already announced by the time we went to Tony Khan for this announcement. So he announced that he's going to make a big announcement next week. Yeah. They got no... Yeah. Pull the pants down for... Yeah. What? (laughs) If CM Punk hadn't failed the psychological... (laughs) Failed the psychological experiment, the the psych... Psychiatric evaluation, that is collision. CM Punk, what was your biggest bugbear in AEW, in WWE? But didn't like the creative freedom, didn't think I was presented as the top guy. I was always below John Cena. I was at a fight for my creative. Uh, you know, the, the writing was stupid. Okay, you're the top guy. You're effectively probably going to book your own angles because your, ever, your influence over the MGF one was clear. There is no one against you. There's no one conspiring against you. In fact, we are cherry-picking everyone who isn't a perceived enemy of yours and putting them on the roster with you. You can't possibly have a problem with this, can you, Philip? All I'm saying is... (laughs) (laughs) But what was going to happen if none of that happens? Uh, Like, were they going to run a video package? Or was CM Punk, Tony Carmich, going to say, and CM Punk's going to be there? Like, that's a bit anticlimactic, which leads me to think... Is it anticlimactic, though? Because I think it'd be all we were talking about today. So if you get the upfronts in the daytime... I'd have an easier imagination, mate. Could they <laughs> not... <laughs> Everyone would be talking about it, but it would still be like, it's not the first dance. It's the second coming. Yeah, but it wouldn't be... 
know the names of the shows, pal. <laughs> what I'm saying is, can you, you remember the first dance was the best? Yeah, that hype. Aye. So, I what it, were they going to do? I think they were just going to announce. We, and the first show is going to be from Chicago, the United Center, the second coming. Can't wait to see you there. That was, and now they've got like oh, so without mentioning punks. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. Punk mention. And now they've got seven days to. Try and make that happen again, or cancel the building, or cancel the show. <laughs> Imagine like four thousand eight hundred people turning up to watch, and now like Samoa versus Andrade. Christ, seven more days passing. It's just that Wayne's World joke, and we've got good news for fans in Delaware. Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> Collisions coming to your town. Oh man, we'll see. It's next Wednesday. Like a, another announcement, more elaboration. You know what? Well, oh, you'll be there for it. Yeah, like it's summit. Summit's going down. Like, oh, uh, Jesus Christ, eh? Yeah. I'm going to go on Twitter while you're talking about the next thing, just to see if there's any updates because this is a yeah, fluid good, situation. Good point. He, sh- he should check Twitter whilst I do this next match because I don't think he'll really care about it. It was only Roderick Strong versus Chris Jericho false count anywhere. Come to me first yeah, on this took match out of the ring, didn't they? Oh God, get really back want. in the ring. That's where the best work's done, lads. Only one for the purists. <laughs> the um. Did I imagine this, Sidge? Or did he say when the Owen Hart thing got announced for this year that they were going to be unveiled at double or nothing? Yes. So there's no, no the, more... The opening ceremonies. The opening ceremonies, which you would assume involve maybe the wrestlers that are in the tournament. But then this big, long run of collisions in Canada makes you think that a lot of it will be taking place on there. And these... Yes. Can, that would check out, wouldn't it? I just wonder if there was anything more to that as well. And that's... Now we've just got to sit and wait till double or nothing for that. Well, anyway, uh, it was Roderick Strong versus Chris Jericho. Strong didn't mess about here. Neither of them messed about, to be perfectly honest, when you look back at this. My word, that's the first thing I'm going to go back and watch tonight. Yeah. Um, immediately attacks Chris Jericho, and I'm just going to say, I know it's more work for me, chops the <laughs> out of Chris Jericho's <laughs> chest. Um, he couldn't even get his bloody jacket off. Um, uh, not many updates. Sorry. It's all right. Carry on, mate. Uh, so... Uh, oh, there's a bit where he does the gimmick where he bounces off. But he almost ran over Paul Aubrey at that <laughs> point. Uh, he goes for end of heartache. Uh, Jericho counters into the walls of Jericho. Such a great counter. Mm. I don't want to gloss over that because there was so much more stuff going on. Uh, Strong gets a rope break and they fight into the crowd and we go to break and you can see him during picture and picture going all over the crowd. Um, this continues. Um, they fight up into the, the bit up there. Jericho slams Strong through a table um, they fight into a stairwell. A bit of me, because half of you half sleep, obviously, when we're watching this in, in the UK. It's a bit of me when they fall into that stairwell. I thought they were going to do, like, it looks more dangerous than it is, and maybe we can cheat, and maybe you put your foot, like, on the bit of stairs, because you're not just dangling for your arms. I didn't see the ledge. No. no. So I thought, oh, they're going to do, like, a dangling spot. And then I watched whoever it was, Jericho Holstrong, let go, and I was like, like that. Yeah. And, oh, there's a ledge, okay. And, but still, incredibly dangerous, as we'll get into. They fight on the ledge. Uh, the, the, they eventually get back. Jericho tackles Strong, um, gets a two count. Um, they again, brawl into the foyer area. Concourse? Concourse, thank you. Uh, Jericho... Yeah, let's all go to the lobby. <laughs> Jericho's... That's in a hotel, Americans. <laughs> Jericho's got a chair, so Strong uses the perfect counter, handful of plastic cutlery, just poise <laughs> it at Chris Jericho. Um, Tony Schiavone, happiest clam when he, Jericho gets hit with the Mr. Safety <laughs> face. Uh, then they again brawl further up the concourse. Jericho goes into the bin to get something to wipe his face with. 
Um, they continue fighting. They fight, as what he called, out of the arena doors when who should appear behind Chris Jericho but the man who's been banned from the arena, Adam Colbert. Um Looked handsome in the daylight, didn't yeah. they? Oof, a hunk. Uh, they fight onto a big mound of grass that the commentators inexplicably can't think of what to call it. Uh, Cole lowers the boom on Chris Jericho whilst they're on the dirt pile. Uh, and Strong hits him with a jumping knee for the one, two, three, and the, the best mates celebrate. Um, I'm prone to recency bias when AEW just gets me. Right. And I'm prone to hyperbole. This is a perfect match, and Tony Khan's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> That's a succinct take, but I'm going to elaborate right now. I don't like to lower myself to the level of the, oh, stupid for thinking that, discourse, because, of course, they are. Let's just not demean ourselves by trying to score like engagement in reaction to stupid opinions. I'm going to do it once because it is annoying and they do get me sometimes. <laughs> I hate it. The concern I'd rather I'd rather you called them a tiny con. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'd rather you called them tiny con and litter the rest of your 200 and what 72 character limit with cry laugh emojis. <laughs> Then concern troll. I just think Tony needs some help. <laughs> right. Who do you know, booking wrestling, can do something as resourceful and entertaining and as thoughtful as that segment of television? Only Tony Khan when he's operating at the peak of his powers because this was a bit of a low-level masterpiece for me. What about the game, Triple H? Shut up. <laughs> Shut the f*** up. So what you have here is, and I've said before, right, even when his wider episodic storylines don't connect, his matchmaking does. Keith Lee versus Isaiah Cassidy, masterpiece. There are, like, countless other mm. examples of, oh, that's why you're putting them two together. His matchmaking is brilliant. Here, his matchmaking was incredible. The perfect stipulation for the perfect two opponents for two completely different reasons that in the match itself combined beautifully and it also fed in beautifully to the wider stipulation and the wider storyline rather and led to Adam Cole getting a measure of revenge before the match at the pay-per-view with some really clever thought. And it, that in itself is a great way of Tony Khan likes to separate and keep apart his upcoming pay-per-view rivals. It was getting a bit boring with the gauntlets, and now he's just found this perfect reason. This is a masterpiece. And it's his mate in there, so it's not like, oh, they just so happened to brawl out of the arena, was the fact, it? They've the, the concocted a plan last yeah. week to outwit the stupid idiot heel. Great. That's what baby faces do. Oh, my God. What a... Yeah, oh I just can't believe how clever this was. And they completely delivered on a really clever idea here. The reason why these two were so perfect for the stipulation is that Roddy Strong's thing with his unbelievable spree of backbreakers and his sprinting from rope to rope is that he is a relentless, unstoppable, cardio freak mm. who can blow up anyone and can just do these things and keep going and going and going. He is relentless. So, of course, he's going to be perfect in a false count anywhere match because if you try and escape his clutches, he can have the cardio to just run upstairs and just kick the 
<laughs> out of you all over the arena. He could work a false count anywhere, Iron Man in Wembley Stadium. So, of course, he's great for a false count anywhere. His opponent, Chris Jericho, is great for a false count anywhere because he can do Stoogen. He can be this coward. Like, no one in wrestling as a heel can play the slippery coward like Chris Jericho. So his slapstick attempts to run away from Roderick Strong, the relentless terminator of professional wrestling, was so funny. And then also, he's a great brawler. He's got a great chest to get chopped. He's a vicious little bastard. He's great at cutting people off. His counters are awesome. And this match was just a breathless, uber-creative just TV-level masterpiece for me. I could not have thought more of it. One flaw is superstar Billy Graham is going to pass. Just wait mm. until a more respectful moment when the match is over and you can cut back to commentary. No one's going to say eight minutes late on that announcement how yeah. disrespectful. Yeah, it's not Sky Sports breaking news, is it? Just, yeah, it was weird. But at the same time, I don't think it was malicious. They just thought it was a well-intentioned Belunder. Yeah. I, I, I have very little to add there other than to say that the ups and downs that I have done for the website that you can read right now, they're published, and I only say that to not be a plagiarist, is I don't think Sidgwick is being hyperbolic because I said this was perfection. Perfection. In the article, I found this to be perfection. I think this isn't my match of the year. I think it's replaced, wow. and this, and for that, by the way, that would replace like Gunther, Sheamus, and Drew uh, because I would put this chop battle, a few of them, as comparable with those chop battles at WrestleMania. So it had all of the physicality, if that's what you are. After all, joking aside, if you if you are a bit of a purist and you want the in-ring, you had a really tasty portion in-ring, and then the chop battles that were happening all over the building were on the level of a, of a Gunther one, at like, or a Walter one at the highest level. So I loved that. Like, it never betrayed what it has to be, which is a fight, which is a wrestling match. Not once. Um, the stuff on the ledge, like, is, again, like, they... You'd like to think the wrestlers look around the building and like have stuff in the back of their mind. And it's great in AW because it feels so much more improvised than it does in WWE, which is why these capture the energy so much more. It's why you find yourself talking about the AW equivalents a lot longer than you do the WWE ones. Years later, we still reference some of their great Daily's Place pandemic moments. Kenny Omega in the golf cart or the parking lot brawl. They're just better at obviously having things planned, but being able to take advantage. So let's say, for example, the ice cream was part of the plan, but the plastic cutlery wasn't. You remember both just as much. That ledge is obviously something they've scouted because it does look really dangerous in the moment. But rather than the payoff being somebody falling to the death on a crash pad, it's them almost having a mini-match on it. Yes. Like a running clothesline still comes with loads of risk attached because you slip your foot and you fall onto the jagged stairs. So they just they made use of their all the different environments so well. The finish was the good kind of predictable. You know, we all thought, falls kind of anywhere, that's perfect. Like you want it to be storyline-driven rather than just being a a brawl that spilled out for the sake of spilling out. I, just, I cannot wait to go home and watch this again. All, all those sort of positives that leave you feeling it. Roddy Strong is kind of made already. Not many, like not everybody yeah. lands a pin on Chris Jericho. Um, so he feels made by this. Roddy Strong and Chris Jericho, two wrestlers that now we've watched it, we think, of course they would work together, but never would you necessarily put them together yeah. as, oh, I cannot wait. Like all the fantasy dream matches, all the sort of forbidden door, whatever. So I'm like, I can't wait for us to get to Jericho Strong. You know, we always say Punk Omega. They've created one for themselves. One day there's going to be a rematch and we're all going to recall what this felt like to, to build ourselves up for it. This is, yeah, this is again, for me, again, not for the first time in the show, this is peak 
operational AEW. This is peak AEW in terms of the thought, the e- the energy they can harness on like any promotion this century. Will Dave go five on it? I don't think so. Did no. he go five on the parking lot, bro? Yes. I think this was on par with that. I think... The action in the parking lot brawl was better, but I was just, I just can't believe how that man, Tony Khan, has come up with the stipulation in the workers to do this match. It was just perfect. I'm intrigued to see what you thought of the match that came next. It was Jungle Boy Jack Perry versus Roosh. Um, Roosh immediately jumps Perry, takes him to the outside. There's the cable cord that Jose assistant kindly points out and brings from under the ring. Um, Roosh starts slamming Perry headfirst into the barricade, and he's busted open as we go to a break. When we come back, um, Perry starts fighting back. At one point, did he chop him? And then Roosh just, in AW's words, cop check, Jungle Boy, I noticed, yeah. do you? Boop. Yeah. Um, they fight on the second rope. Chop battle continues. Perry uh, manages to fight out of it and hit a Hurricane Rana. Um, Jose, the assistant, though, running distraction, keeps grabbing the leg of Jungle Boy. Um Manages to duck an attack from Roosh, though, and put him in the snare trap. Roosh makes it to the ropes. They fight on the apron. There's a ridiculous spot where Roosh wipes the blood off Jungle Boy's Perry's face and licks it and then hits him with a overhead belly to the belly on the floor that looked terrifying. Um, Roosh shoves the uh, ref out of the way, though, and that allows Jungle Boy to get the flash pin with a handful of trunks. He immediately gets attacked after the match by not just Roosh, but Jose, the assistant, and Preston Vance. Um, Darby Allen hits the ring... But um, numbers game and the cable cord with being used, but for, uh, Jose brought out earlier means that he gets taken down. And who should make the save? But Sammy Guevara um, takes out Roosh on the ramp. Darby Allen hits Jose with a scorpion death drop. Um, Vance gets wiped out by the team of Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and they're all there staring at each other to close out this match. This was really, really, really good, and I. Can't make my mind up on the finish. If it's a let it play out finish for me, depending on how Jungle Boy wrestles at the pape and how his character develops after the pape, it might have planted a seed or something. For me, it felt like, why have you booked that finish on mm. this night, knowing what the growing narrative is about Jack Perry? It just felt like, the finger was off the pulse, and that's so unlike AEW, like so unlike it. The action was great. He almost took a header off that apron bump as well. So it had this sense of danger even before that spot because Roosh is so good. He's so intense. You, look, you just do not want to get into a fight with Roosh. I left the, like a lot of people, I've seen the sentiment expressed online. I left this thing and just do more with Roosh. Please do with more with Roosh. And maybe that's a positive of Dynamite and Collision where you will be able to see these great wrestlers who just deliver almost every single time and bring a different dimension to AEW um, than so many other people who work there. They'll get more time and more consistent because Roosh could be such a great TV character as well. Mm. Um, but I'm, think, I'm talking about Roosh. I'm talking about Roosh. I'm talking about Roosh. And I'm not talking enough about Jack Perry who's about to headline a pay-per-view in just... Under, um, days. correct. <laughs> I was proven wrong here. I thought this would be kind of dull, and I wasn't sure where it could fit in. And then when it was following Jericho he Strong, much more Roosh matches. Oh, I probably do need to find the good ones. Don't I? Like it. He's, he's just been, what has he? He's been awesome in AEW. Yeah, yeah. Nielsen, Moxley's kicked ass. Probably. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> like, probably. I just. 
I, uh, part of it, you know, is that they don't really give him much to. There's never any meat on the bone with the stories. So already you're kind of going in, knocking off the star, and it's like, well, right, the work's got to be really good because there's no there's no sort of emotion to this. It's just it's going to be really great wrestling. And what have we always said? There's so much great wrestling every week. I'd rather watch the ones where I'm invested in the characters. Roosh, uh, like, I really admired how they both worked to make this memorable because it could have been the great wrestling version of the obvious winner, obvious loser match. It kind of was on paper. Mm. Um, but I, the apron spot, the licking of the blood, um, him doing like the Tyler bait, bob, boop, but on his knob. Is that is that baiting your bollocks in? Is that what that spot is? Like, the, <laughs> like just stuff that you're going to take away from it. And yeah, if, if like Roosh trying to like still inject a bit of his character into this, I was really impressed because it was almost a him match more than Jungle Boy yeah. one. Because I feel like we're supposed to focus on the finish. And I'm going to be even kinder than I let it play out because it is that. I, I thought this was an earnest attempt to, to try and do something on this show, which maybe was over-egging things slightly, but I liked it. I liked the Sammy Guevara stuff more after I saw this finish because Egg. here they are, the three challengers. What was that? Was that an Egg. Egg? United to piss off MJF, uh, which we got a great payoff for, a f- like a fantastic payoff later on. Just right now. Um, but Jungle Boy being the sly, willing to cheat heel more so than Sammy Guevara ahead of the match, I thought was quite impressive. It's like you've got these three, and now you're kind of questioning all of them. Darby Allen less so, and that's the right play. Mm. But you're questioning both Sammy. Was Sammy Guevara telling the truth earlier on? He's made the save. Can we trust him? Jungle Boy, is he starting to embrace the dark side because he realises maybe that all along he learned that Christian was right? Yeah, like I don't I'll, know if there were... Just building an ear fall again. Maybe. You see a roll up on MGF at a critical moment in a handful that match of tights. with a handful of tights. Yeah. You're thinking, oh, well, it got it done against Roosh. But the idea that like they are trying to show you that they're united mm. against MGF when they're not because nobody really knows their individual motivations. Beyond Darby Allens, who was up front, I want to win the title with a headlock takeover. The other two are maybe masking something. So I quite like that. And has Roosh pointed out um, Jungle Boy's weak spot, which is, of course, these nuts. Lots of questions to be answered. Yeah, all, all questions. <laughs> Renee, we're all valid. Yeah. Uh, Renee Pack gets backstage with MJF, who's absolutely devoured, because uh, they're all on the same page, seemingly. She asks him how he's feeling ahead of the title match, double nothing, and he just slaps the microphone out of her hands. This is pretty perfect. He knows exactly where the line is. That was the absolute, absolute maximum what you can do in terms of physicality yeah. with someone like Renee Paquette, who's, my God, she her body language... Her emoting here was unbelievable. She should teach acting wrestling lessons mm-hmm. when give her another salary and another job title because she's unbelievable at what she does. And Jeff was she, again, he just knows where the line is and mm. he just tiptoed up to it, stepped on it but not over it. Um, and I get why they're doing this three on one thing because the idea is the walls have to close in on MGF. You have to believe that he's going to lose the title. That's ultimately what the selling point of a title match is, doing it in such a way that you're potentially baby-facing three people and completely NXT wargaming, wargamesing the ratio of baby-faces and heels and advantages mm. and stuff. I, I, I don't know. This has brought into focus to me that maybe you can never ever book a good four-way feud mm. or a good three-way feud. Without overcomplicating it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this was horrifying. Like my stomach's twisting thinking about yeah. thinking about Renee's like response to it and like how she was how she was holding herself afterwards. Mm, her angry. She looked 
humiliated. Yeah, all of those emotions, like, and she, um, like, obviously the physical act of it is sort of violent enough because it's transgression for any microphone to get knocked out of any interviewer's hand. I hope they f- mention that he's fined next yeah. week. Yeah, like to add gravity to this. Male on female is difficult stuff to work with, and this was like Cedric's point, just measured perfectly. The fact it's Renee. Who like there's a lot of talk of like heart and soul and things like that in wrestling these days. She's the beating heart of wrestling announcers, you know, like she's just this mm. like well, and, and in another sense, that's John Mox's wife. And you, you have a little I bit of that, that in the back of well, your mind yeah. as well, you know, like to be afraid of that from a kayfabe point of view. Um, not for now, but for later. And just like how dare he the fact that you can still have MJF do and how dare he acts is really quite impressive. And they found another one here and it was completely sold by how brilliant she was at reacting to it. I'm nervous for the next time those two are on camera and that's effective as well. I love this. Oh, speaking, of physical, <laughs> speaking of physical performances. His glasses just fell off. Speaking of physical performances, Siege, we were talking on that, the... Was that, bit? that was That was incredible. That was uh, a bit. <laughs> speaking on the Rampage. Hey! Uh, we do you like that one, listeners? On the Rampage review. Listeners? <laughs> Uh, Sige, about... Well, you described it as a reaction to when football fans get relegated, don't you? Yeah, when Matt Hardy said that he wanted to take a dominion of Ethan Page by uh, having his contract or whatever, I was so crestfallen by the idea that this programme that I watch for a rest, uh, for a living is going to continue. That I did the relegation thing at home. <laughs> <laughs> Hands on the head, elbows jutted outwards. Like, really hung over, though, as well, which made me contribute. I was like, oh, no. So that's the classic, we've just been relegated pose. Yeah. Hands on the head, elbows jutted outwards. Oh no, we're going to have to go and play bloody, I don't know, Blackburn away. <laughs> and it won't be on telly. And your squad's going to get decimated and got relegated. It sucks. Do you think you're trying to, the body language experts would say, like trying to build walls and like block your peripheral vision <laughs> off yeah. and stuff like that. That's what you want to do against Matt Hardy. Yeah. Like, what, what can I block to obscure seeing Matt Hardy on television? Well, we got a great email from uh, David Esposito. Thank you, David, for this, um, which continues a theme. You know, we talked previously about the Sunday scary. The Sunday yes. scaries. Ooh. Well, Americans got a name for that. That pose, apparently. And this is our afternoon sorted, by the way. We've just been relegated from the Premier League pose. Uh, exactly. Um, David says, I don't know the analyst or commentator who first coined this phrase. I'll get back to it in a second. But YouTube is littered with compilations of fans in this exact pose, usually right as their team suffers an improbable and heartbreaking defeat. So if you've ever wondered, hey, do Americans have a dumb name for this? The answer is invariably yes. Apologies once again for the <laughs> awful things my countrymen and I do to the language on a daily basis. Cheers and all the best. But the name for this pose is apparently... <laughs> It's time to play the game! Time to play the game! game. (laughs) So I'm thinking it's the... uh, The bombed out blues. Okay. (laughs) Uh, The self-vice. The self-vice. It is... Keeping that pose so we can get the visual demonstration of that. On an audio podcast. It is, according to David Esposito, thank you again, David, the Surrender Cobra. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) How good's that? Yeah. By the way, David, I I told this to the boys. I didn't tell them the name of it. I told the boys about it yesterday, and I said, oh, remind me, I'll do it. I completely forgot. It was my fault yesterday. But I've been hyping this up for about That's two or three incredible. days. Incredible! The surrender cobra. Well, it's so perfect. 
Oh, well, the uh, the Middlesbrough FC have just been uh, defeated in the playoff semifinals. And oh, my God, those smoggies are doing the Surrender Cobra. <laughs> surrender Cobra. A lot of Surrender Cobras out there today. <laughs> Hard day. I'm going to go on uh, back on Sunderland until I die and watch like 40,000 Sunderland fans in Super HD doing the Surrender Cobra. The second consecutive relegation. Those Macam County Stripers. <laughs> Surrender Cobras for today. Hope they can be. Hope they can be a League One Vipers tomorrow. <laughs> Those sad Macam bastards. <laughs> bastards. <laughs> Those obsessed sad Macam bastards <laughs> are doing the Surrender Cobra. <laughs> yes, Keegan and Shearer with Stereo Surrender Cobras. Consecutive. <laughs> what has happened to those spyrites? Uh, we see uh, the I did not give up and I am not a snake <laughs> what's with the surrender cobra bud <laughs> cheer up man that's unbelievable Sunday scares there's got to be more of these sorts of things uh, the idea that people make a compilation well, I've got to call it something go on and look at this see what we can find if I find your thumbnail here the surrender Surrender Cobra. Cobra. <laughs> I've seen that one before. That um, I think it's Michigan State. And it's like, oh, all you have to do is uh, kick this and you win the entire game. And he bollocks up the kick and they run literally the length of the field and lose. And they're like, well, it's the perfect. It's a lad in a yellow. Therapist explaining it. Oh, no, Michigan State Beach, Michigan. So it's a local derby as well. Punters fumble on the last play of the game. Not the Michigan Derby. It's a band called Surrender Cobra as well. Should we go and see him? <laughs> uh, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. Dynamite. Jamie Hayter. Uh, we see footage of her getting injured last week, last month by Tony Storm. Um, Tony Storm's backstage with Renee, Renee Paquette talking about setting records. Four wins in five days. She's an entirely different animal in AEW. And she uh, challenges Jamie Hayter for the women's title match at Dublin. I think, like you said earlier, both of you, the best possible match from the women involved, in my opinion. Looking forward to watching that. Yeah. I feel like the result's not in doubt when the match are kick ass. Yeah. Uh, then it was time for Switchblade Jay White versus Ricky Starts. Should we review this? I mean, it ended in a DQ. What's the point in investing in it? Why do we do a raw review? <laughs> Why do we do a raw review if those are the rules? Uh, Jay White sucking Starks into a chase. You know when you watch WWE Raw, you're never this like uh, acerbic. I know because it's, because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> funny. To Wilborn's nonsense point. Right, we talked yesterday. They do. I, I get DQs and JY and creeping it, in. It still remains. It's a credit to AEW that it still remains. Oh, don't like that. Bit of a mm. shock. However, like I'm sort of losing my patience with it from a storyline point of view with someone like a Jay White because yesterday the whole point, the thing that made this match as dramatic as it could be was like, who's going to lose? Yeah, someone someone's got to lose here. This is weird and. This was a bit of a get out. Coward's way out. And this. they've never normally used DQs for get out. It's been for this stories. Is the Vince McMahon way out. Didn't yeah. like that. Um, this, was a, this was a finish that resigned in disgrace. It did. <laughs> and look, much like Vince, it's like, oh, we're probably going to get another go at this, whether we yeah, want it or yeah. not. Uh, Starks fights back on the outside, sending uh, White into the barricade. Um, White drives Starks face first into the apron to take us to a break. When we come back, Starks fires up, comes out of the corner with a lariat, Manhattan drop, charging knee and a back elbow. Um, White runs at him, gets hit with a belly-to-belly suplex and a tornado DDT for two. But 
takes Starks too long to follow up. He's suffering the effects. Um, White sort of drapes Starks over the top rope, and it's a huge urinagi for a near fall. Juice Robinson's there, of course. He trips Starks uh, to allow Jay White to go for the Blade Runner, but Starks gets a roll-up for two instead. Starks, I think, gets him up for the Rochambeau, but uh, Jay White goes for the eyes. The ref goes, gets pissed off at him. He gets into it with the ref. In comes Juice Robinson with a chair. Starks gets the chair, um, sends Robinson to the floor, and then uh, nails Jay White with the chair to get the DQ. I hated the finish. I've got a weird feeling they're both going to be in the Battle Royal. Mm. I don't know why they did this. It just felt like they're going to do something bold. Austin, Texas, your new top star heel mm. versus your hometown hero who's you know, on the rise or whatever, and then they just took that finish. So I hated the finish. I thought elements of this match were fantastic. The idea of Ricky Starks just sort of like getting battered and everything, distracted, and then finally just getting his composure was really good storytelling. And he, it informed just the sheer drama of those near falls. Jay White is one of those wrestlers who does, well, one of those very, very few wrestlers who does everything another wrestler does. And then you think Jay White is so good at doing that that every other wrestler should retire from doing it. <laughs> the issue is that it's kicking out with 2.9. So every wrestler has to do that. <laughs> but Jay White's got that Omega tier, like, oh, he's done for, he's done for. He's so incredible at the little things. Mm. He's so incredible at doing everything that a wrestler does. And loads of time for the action here. And I was really, really on the hook before the eye stuff. And I thought, oh, right, okay, I'm out. I'm out. Uh, yeah, that narrative cowardice. The f- I got flashpoints here of the like, obvious, and we talked about this in the preview, that the kind of perfect chemistry between these two, especially with Starks still trying to find his fit with this babyface role. Jay White, there probably aren't better cut-off merchants than Jay White for a Ricky Starks who gets a bit over-enthusiastic and doesn't necessarily think at all three straight away. That's perfect. That's catnip. And, and he gets despondent when he yeah. can't get it. It's got the best... It's not a kick-out, shocked kick-out phase. It's a gutted kick-out Yeah, phase. psychologically, that's catnip for a Jay White. And yeah. I got flashes of it, but I... I was a lot lower on this. And I d- maybe the finishes informed that slightly. Maybe I'd have felt different if they'd have committed one way or the other. But I felt like large portions of this were quite flat. And I just think Jay White... Like, Jay White has been... Jay Wow. Jay Wow. Jay White has been normalised way too quickly for me as a mid-card concern. And I think that hampered the match too. Starks is carrying it around at the moment because the Jericho thing didn't go well. Um, but that's where Jay White's been slotted. And I just, I felt that throughout. I was like, we've never really had our killer Jay White promo that maybe would have added just that little bit, little bit of sizzle to steak. So there were, when I got those flashpoints, I loved them. But it's, none of this has really gone as well as I would have liked it to end to end. Yeah, I got a bit of that because I forgot about the Don Callis stuff. So I was like, oh, weird main event this, you know, aside from obviously Ricky Starks being a hometown hero. And then when it finished, I was like, Six minutes or something left on here. What's mm. going on? But of course, what was what followed immediately after was, well, oh my god. Since we're going to be hitting that a few more times in the next few minutes, because Tony Schiavone's in the ring. He says it gives me absolutely no pre- pleasure to introduce Don Callis, and there's tens of security guards flanking the ramp. Don walks down. Um, and the fans chant "piece of sh," of course, at Don Callis, and he Tony asks why, and Don says, "Well, instead of what." Uh, why I did what I did to Omega. Let's talk about what Kenny Omega did to me. Because I'm I'm the victim in this scenario. Don Callis. 
I did everything for Kenny. The IWGP title, I did that for Kenny. Jericho versus Omega, I got him that. The AW Championship, that was my first night. Without me, there is no Kenny Omega. And of course, this brings out Kenny Omega, who realizes that he's probably not going to get his hands on Don Callis because there's 20 security guards in front of him, but doesn't really care. He just starts fighting the security. Here comes the BCC again. They attack Omega from behind. John Moxley hits a paradigm shift on the ramp. Brian Danielson, I don't think his face has changed since last week. Um, he's still ecstatic. Um, Moxie, down the camera lens, says Kenny and his mates can't touch them. We're the real elite. And then here comes the Young Bucks. Uh, they've got all the weapons and toys with them. Um, the brawl breaks out, and then whose music plays but a returning hangman, Adam Page, who's got a gold eye patch, Moxley-esque. Um, Kenny hands him the barbed wire broom, and finally it's... Oh, my God. Yeah, that was a biggie, like... It's a bit emotional. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, <laughs> didn't see that one coming. Finally, it's four on four. Are you not, are you not 100% right, the punker? Oh, this is making <laughs> some questions. Um... All big melee. Um, it's poor Wheeler Uter who's left to, to eat all of it. Uh, there was sort of like, I, it's, I assume I've got them going to get this wrong and people are going to correct me, like a computer game move. It's like a pounce, but he was using the bin lid yeah. and you were absolutely flying. It's like a shotgun dropkick bump off a bin, off a running bin lid. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> I, it was incredible. It looked like a cartoon. Um, and they hit the BTE trigger and then the bookshot lariat. And Paige is there with the books and Omega. He gets the mic and says, we're the heart of AW. Pauses for just a brilliant split second. Says, we are the elite. And a double or nothing, BCC versus the elite. Anarchy in the arena. I didn't tweet this because the nihilist posters would have made fun of me. But I got, I got emotional watching this. And I don't mind admitting it to the nice people that listen to our podcasts. Uh, I did my most reaching bro. <laughs> <laughs> or... If you're kinder than that, my most. I'm spotting all of these things. I love spotting them, and I think I'm good at my job, and I need to have the happiness that it gives me and the purpose that it gives me during this goddamn pandemic because I'm very, 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 very sad. Like, don't develop parasocial relationships with wrestlers. Do not do it. Do not do it. But uh, don't have heroes when you're 37. It's lame. <laughs> um, but by the same token, their work... In 2020, pre-revolution to full gear 2021 to winter is coming and everything in between. I needed that in my life to escape. And they deserve their getting their flowers moment here. The whole angle, which is great, feel good fan service as well. It was fantastically done. Action. You still got the mystery of Callus as well. I didn't give that away. It's Kester. Uh, five star, five star feel good stuff. Yeah, I was like, going to say fair there, but alliteration and people who just do hollow wordplay are just the worst. <laughs> Again, a bit like the the women's match, like the the moment sort of spoke for itself because you could see the reaction. Stink. There. The hangman page. <laughs> <laughs> I smelt my armpit there. The surrender we were all doing surrender covers. Surrender I smell you. That's where yeah, it would have. Yeah. No. Fucking surrender cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sick. Who's going to be doing the Surrender Cobras after Anarchy in the Arena? That's what oh, I want. That's no, what I want. No, no, no. Is it going to end? I'm nothing out to that analysis. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was beautiful, this. Um, four and four? Or is there going to be, are we going to get fifth man next week? Rule of thumb is, if in AEW you see the graphic, that's the match. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that someone like a Takeshita isn't the straw that stirs the drink on the night itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Magic. Really. And we were, the thing we were 
complaining about on the preview yesterday was well, they announced a lot for double or nothing. They've certainly corrected that after last night's dynamite. Uh, let us know your thoughts on it on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. What I say, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Myself and the Dadly Boys back with a get the table a little bit later on today. And of course, me and Sidg will be here tomorrow to look ahead to AEW Rampage. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thanks to David Esposito as well. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.